Hello, I'm Howard. I'm still stressed out. And this is the Friday show as we look back at an interesting week in the Champions League, a packed week in the transfer gossip columns, and look forward to yet another crucial match on Monday night that could decide the title race. So not much to talk about then. I'm delighted to be joined by two big hitters this morning on a rainy, grey Manchester day. Uh, first up, good morning, Asa. Morning, Howard. How are you? Um, a little hoarse, but other than that, I'm I'm pretty excellent. I've got to be honest, it's been a good week. Right, got better weather there than here. Mm, I mean, I can see a little bit of sunshine right now, but it's going to yeah. grey over later, so no, not really. Yeah, looking forward to the coldest bank holiday in 40 years, apparently, so... <laughs> Can't wait. And I'm walking up, walking up a mountain. <laughs> uh, also, delighted to be joined this morning by Lloyd. Hello, Lloyd. Morning, Howard. You okay? Yeah, it's uh, it's grey and rainy here in London as well. But I think to be yeah. fair, let's let's the the last bank holiday we had was uh, we were we were blessed with that. So swings and roundabouts. Yeah. I was just talking about the cup final. It was a heat wave for the Carabao Cup final. I'm wondering if it's going to be actually. 15 degrees colder for the FA Cup final this year. That would year. be funny. <laughs> yeah. Everything's the wrong way around nowadays. Anyway, let's crack on. We've got loads to talk about. Uh, I've got an opening question that is not a question, really. Uh, more of an interview for Asan. Uh, Asan, you did two transfer podcasts. Uh, you know, just letting non-subscribers know about this. Two transfer podcasts with Sam Lee this week because uh, there's been a lot to talk about. Obviously, we're getting towards the end of the season. Uh and there is links with, well, just about every player on the planet, to be honest. Uh, can you summarise some of the stuff you've discussed and what you've learned from Sam and from uh, rumours this week? Mm. Um, well, I think, the for me, the biggest story uh, is that City won't pursue a left-back this summer. Mm. Um, I believe that... So originally it sort of felt like City had randomly picked up the phone and decided to tell everybody they're not signing a left-back. As it happens, what actually happened is that somebody was about to run a big story about a left-back that City were going to sign and City decided to take that opportunity to tell that media outlet and also a few other people, you're wrong because we're actually not signing a left-back this summer. So... Yeah, you I believe mean, them. It prob that probably feeds into a wider conversation about <laughs> yeah. how they deal with what I think is going to be a hyper competitive transfer market this summer, and how they try and avoid. I mean, look, City have a. Um, even though we have a lot of money, obviously there's always a lot of haggle with City. There's always a, a sense of they want to try and avoid paying through the nose for players. I wonder if this is part of that. Um, but at the same time, and I'd be interested to know particularly what you two think, I do sort of understand that from a really from a practical point of view, if you spend £50 million on Benjamin Mendy, and then you go and sign Chilwell this summer. Number one, you've got to play Chilwell next season because Chilwell, being an English English lad, is not going to come to City to be second or third choice. He, yeah. I'm fairly sure he'll be going, well, no, I'm going to play. Um, and if you do play him, you can't really have Mendy and Zinchenko sat on the bench. I mean, 
no. I think that's that puts you in a position where your 50 million euro asset becomes almost completely worthless if Chilwell settles in and is good. Like basically if Chilwell becomes the left-sided walker, then Mendy's done and he's not worth anything. And I imagine that there has to be some kind of financial consideration with when you've made an investment that big on a lad who's that young, who's now having injury issues. I almost wonder whether, you know, the thing that makes it complicated is not the injuries, it's just in general, the mendiness of Mendy uh, yeah. and and how he can be a bit... Um, I mean, everybody's read the, the Sam Lee pieces uh, and if you believe even 60-70% of what's in them, then he's a handful for the coaching staff and, and even for his teammates. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complicated situation which I can kind of see both sides of. Lloyd, maybe, do you think it's, because I know we had an exchange yesterday where you were a bit like, yeah, that's mental. Do you still feel like that? It just, just makes me a bit nervous, I think, because... I think the prospect, uh, the kind of the context we were discussing it within is, I think there's this looming cloud over us this at the moment, which is a potential transfer ban. And whilst I think it's fair to say City feel that they're they're not going to be in trouble on that front, I think we've had previous in um, City feeling confident on things and then it going completely the other way. So my, I think my concern mainly is if you, I mean, I think by all accounts it looks like this summer will not be impacted by a transfer ban. It's not going to get through its investigation quickly enough. We're not in a Chelsea situation where obviously they've actually got to an appeal stage. I think what I'm nervous about is looking at if we get banned for the two windows subsequent, so what would be January next season and the following summer, if something continues with Mendy or you know if the injury problems continue, if the attitude problems get worse, if Sinchenko gets an injury we could then be without a left-back potentially for pretty much 18 months, essentially. And I think that could be that could be a huge issue. And that could also be almost the whole of the rest of Pep at City, which would be amazing to think that we've basically would have kind of fudged through what would, what would kind of be five years, only really signing one. Um, and obviously there have been issues with Mendy. So I just, it just makes me a bit nervous. I think, I, I agree with you though in that, if they sign someone, they have to sell someone. If they they can't sign a Chilwell and have Chilwell, Zinchenko and Mendy on the on the on the squad. So I think, you know, if, if we if we are to sign someone we'd have to sell Mendy. I'm I'm not as convinced by the whole um our City aren't City think that Mendy's not gonna be get good value and there wouldn't be many suitors. I'm not sure about that. I think I do think there would be, despite everything that's happened. So personally, I don't, mate. He's not kicked a football for two years. I mean, I, we had this conversation yesterday. But how do you sell somebody who's literally not played football for two years? And what think about the hit that you'll take on him? Like, fine, you'll have suitors, but like people will be coming up and going, "Well, we'll take him on loan for twelve months." Nobody's going to come and say, "I tell you what, we'll give you half what you paid for him. We'll give you twenty-five million pound for him." I don't think anybody would do that. I, 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 th- I think a few clubs would. I think he, the the ceiling was, is so high with Mendy. That I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that someone would slap and say 25 mil. Personally, interesting. I don't think we'd sell him for that anyway. I think we'd rather loan and take that hit. To be honest, mm. uh, I mean, the way- yeah, he's, he's got to get out. I mean, if we sign someone, he, he has to be out the door. Whether that's a loan, whether that's a 
a permanent deal. It's it, you know, it's got to be one one or the oh. other. Yeah, I was also the assumption that uh, there's no way for me, no way that Ben, someone like Ben Chilwell or Mendy are both at the club next season. I think that would be absolutely ridiculous to have two fifty million pound left backs on your books. I always assumed if one came in, he would go, and we just can't do stupid things. I think it would be stupid to be honest. You know, Zinchenko has proven to me now he's more than adequate backup. And it's always a risk. You know, Chilwell could come in and get a bad injury, but that's football. You can't have three world-class left-backs, you know, just sitting around waiting in case we get an injury crisis. The logic, when I heard the story, I have no inside information whatsoever. My, my guess, which I hope is educated, is that despite what everyone says, City do not have unlimited funds. They will have a, you know, a budget and if they're taking the risk with Mendy it's because that money's needed somewhere else uh, and it might be linked to Otamendi going they might they may have got further than they thought with a player somewhere else mm. uh, I mean please God the lips but no probably not uh, who knows you know another player somewhere else and they're thinking right we'll just have to take it we can't just you know we can't loan Mendy out, buy Chilwell and get this other player and get the defensive midfielder we're getting and probably like maybe another player. It just doesn't all add up. But mm. then having said that, we have so many loan players out there. They could recoup 100 million this summer anyway. Yeah, think- just with the ones that are linked, just with Otamendi loan players and a few other things, you know, they could get a lot of that money back. But I do think it's, it's dealing with a budget is the reason why they've suddenly... If they have changed their mind on Mendy, either trying to keep something very quiet or the money's just needed elsewhere. Mm, I think with the money thing, the thing that makes me a little bit apprehensive is exactly what you've just said. I actually think we have a lot of saleable assets, not just in our first team squad, but across the, the, the loan players. You know, it would be relatively easy for City to raise 60 or 70 million pounds. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the same people that have said City want Chilwell, City don't want Chilwell, have also said Chilwell's got a buyout, which is actually not very high. It's apparently 40, 45 million pounds. Again, you know, kind of within the context of of everything, you kind of look at that and to, well, certainly from a, a, if you look at the high-end players that City are being linked with or generally how much transfer fees are, kind of inflating that doesn't feel like a lot and it does kind of feel like it would be weird for them to go well no we've got to save that 45 because we're going to need it somewhere else surely you'd be able to raise that but anyway I mean in the end I don't know what the finances are I do think that they're I do think City are telling half truths that's probably the the best way for me to describe it do we not I think the only thing though for me is I I I I really get that because I think 45 million to me. I mean, I've watched a lot of Chilwell. I think he's thinking around kind of January time. I was saying I think this guy is good enough for City. And there are a lot of people saying no, I don't think he is. But I actually think since then he's 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 actually got better, and he's been you know one of Leicester's best players. And to me, looks like could make the step up. I think the concern for me is that we could be sat here on this podcast in six months' time, just going bloody hell. Why do we do that? We're buggered now, and you know. Mendy could be exactly the same, you know, injured. I mean, do we even know why he's in Barcelona at the moment? 
is it more swelling on the knee again after two games in in the team? I mean, it's I I personally this is this is a bold opinion, but I would be I would jettison Mendy, try and get rid of him, and, and sign a left back. Mm, I think you know the 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 issue will always be where does he go? Um, in terms of Zinchenko, just very quickly, uh, Howard, do you feel confident that he's good enough to be the first choice left back next season? Yeah, if he develops at this rate, I've absolutely no problem with it. Yeah, mm. I mean, again, I've, you know, I say this so much, so often about let's say how many games have City played this season? Must be you know, getting close to sixty or something. Well, let's say fifty-five mm. for forty of those. Absolutely no problem whatsoever. Minimum is he's good enough to be in that team. Mm. So the only question is, we come up against a Barcelona, we come up in a key game against Liverpool. But the application is shown at the moment. You know, it's not first choice. He's one of two competing for a spot. I'd be very, very happy with that. Yeah, I think I think we've dodged a few bullets in the last few years with players we didn't get, but we've also done the same by one that stayed. That was really probably hours or a day away from going last season. Yeah. Um, and I think that could be a huge turning point for us if he stayed because I don't think anyone expects him to develop this well. Uh, and yes, he can improve further and I don't see why he wouldn't, to be honest. That was going to be my question for, for or you've just answered it, Lloyd. I'll ask you again as well. Um, do you think that actually Zinchenko can get better again next season or do you think that if you look at th- his best performances this season you think that's about as much as he can be coached? I think absolutely he can get better. Right. I think okay. I think the amount that he's improved even in six months, so kind of from the turn of the year, I, the, the last really, really kind of old Zinchenko game I remember was away at Southampton when we were on that kind of December lull when he kind of got yeah. skinned and that because that that used to be a pattern of his um, of his game kind of last season a little bit when he came in he would positioning was poor and he'd sometimes get done in behind. I think since then he's not been flawless, but he's been you know he's been pretty close to to perfect. I would say I think we've seen um, in certain games his I think his heading abilities come on loads. He's actually quite um, he's actually quite good in the air for someone so small, uh, particularly I think in the in the Brighton semi final. And yeah, I think positioning wise, come on loads. Obviously, his passing's great, and also he looks like he's bulked up as well. Um, I think he's, he looks like he's put some mass on. So I, I, I think yeah, given how much he's improved in in the last six months, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he can he can get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go along with that. Um, yeah. So the uh, other thing from the transfer yeah. part, go on, Howard. No, that's what I was going to say. What else have you got? Well. Um, <laughs> This actually is more uh, about yesterday and the stories about David Silva potentially going to Japan. I think that what was what we, what we discussed on the pods, which I think is the best way to kind of maybe wrap up talking about transfers, is that other than the Fernandinho position, every other incoming will be connected to an outgoing. So for a centre-back to come in, Otamendi will have to go. Um, for Bruno Fernandes yeah. to come in, Gundogan or David Silva would probably have to go. For a number nine to come in, Gabi Jesus would would have to go. Um, 
because City don't, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure, and I probably should have looked this up before the pod, but I'm not entirely sure where we are in terms of foreign players within the squad, but I know we're close to the limit. I know that we're not in a position where we can add two players. We've got one squad. One We've space. got one spare. Yeah. So there you go. So basically there's space for Rodri to come in, but everything else has to be connected to an outgoing. And I think that that's probably why City are being linked with so many players and why so many players seemingly are being linked away from City and why City are seemingly taking the approach right now that they're not going to confirm or deny anything until the season ends, that there's two huge games to be played. Um, and because there's two huge games to be played and all the squad will be used, there's no way that City are going to have a conversation this week about Otamendi leaving or David Silva leaving or Gundogan leaving. It's just not going to happen. So I think that we're in for a interesting summer. And I go back to something I tweeted two weeks ago Um it wouldn't surprise me to have a surprise outgoing this summer. And I'm I'm I feel even more like that could happen because I feel like there's a a sense of you get to the end of this season and then there's a lot of conversations to be had with a lot of players about what they want over the next twelve to 18 months to two seasons because I don't think again be interested to know what you both think if there's a player who turns around and goes well I'm going to stay but I'm definitely leaving at the end of next season how do you deal with that how do you you know because okay fine like there's a there's a conversation about loyalty and I'm not going to name any player I'm just going to say in general right there'll be a sense of like, well, we love all the players that we've got and we don't want to sell any of our players because they're top. But at the same time, if you're looking at it from Begaristein's point of view and Pep's point of view, let's use Bruno Fernandes as an example. So let's say that you've scouted all the number eights around and you go, Bruno Fernandes is probably the best number eight around, but he's going to move this summer. And you're sat and you've got two number eights who are both going, well, we're not going to go this summer but we're off next summer. How do you deal with that? Like, what do you, do you make the purchase and then force one of the other players out? Or do you go, well, we're just going to sit on it and then we'll see who's top next summer. Lloyd, I'll start well, you, have to, you have to make the purchase when it's, yeah, you don't get to choose really. I think Sane, you know, we said at the time Sane signed, I think City had their eye on him the year after, but Bayern Munich was sniffing around. Yep. Uh, so they did the deal, and it might have bloated that, you know the squad a bit for one season. I think I don't know in the, the inner workings of Giverstein and you know Pep, but I reckon they yeah they'd get the player in and try and move the other one on mm. because a player who's decides to go in a year, if there are many like that, he's not the sort of player I think Pep wants in his squad to be honest. No, uh, again it depends on contract left as well so with someone like. I mean, just look at the state of United at the moment. They've got, you know, contracts running out. They just don't want to be in that position. Uh, if someone's got a year left in the contract, then that, that's a definite sell. Mm. And I think they'll want an answer from, like, Gundogan very quickly. Has Sane got two years left on his contract, or one? He's got two years left on his contract. Right. Um, so that's not as, yeah. And David Silva has got, what, one or two? Yeah, but, I mean, David Silva's different because... 
you know, they are commodities in a way. Obviously, we see them differently. Uh, we're not getting money. Money is irrelevant for David Sylvie's coming towards the end of his career. So we, he can run his contract down. That's not a problem. But someone who's got resale value is very different because it allows us to reinvest in a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that you've got to get the players when they, when they think they're available because they're not just going to, they're not going to hang around for another year. I mean, some might, but I think most of most players decide and their agents decide this is the summer I'm moving on. You don't get to delay, you know, you only get one chance to do a signing like that, you know, especially the sort of players we go for. Yeah. Lloyd? Yeah, there's. I don't think there's any way Bruno Fernandes comes in if both Gundogan and Silver stay. It just doesn't, it doesn't meet the foreign squad limit. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, we've been having conversations about likes of Foden not playing enough. If you add Fernandes, Gundogan signs an extension, Silver stays. It just literally won't work on a numbers game. Um, in terms of those rumours, I think... I agree. I think if, if, this, if, I mean, Fernandez has clearly outgrown the Portuguese league, so he's clearly going to move this summer. So I think it's, you know, whilst we can talk about the pull of Pep and we've tried that with a few players, I don't think there's any way he's going to stick around for an extra year just to, just to come to City. I don't think any club really is enough of a pull, uh, for that. So one of them would have to go. I would imagine, you know, from a squad point of view, in terms of, um, building a, kind of different demographic and makeup of, of players and positions. I it would make more sense to to get rid of Gundogan I think this summer, have David Silva kind of fade off, bring Foden in more and then replace Gundogan with with Bruno Fernandez. That would make more sense to me. But I think my, my big concern with the whole Bruno Fernandez thing is I do think it's gonna um if he does come in, I've got a big Foden concern personally around that because I just don't see how he's gonna get more more game time. Um particularly if, if Gundogan ends up signing this extension. So that's definitely one to watch. But um, yeah, I'm kind of caught between thinking, you know, this guy looks like the best number eight on the market. I've obviously not seen much of him, but just from um, speaking to people who have. Um, but yeah, we've kind of, we've got a guy um, who's, you know, who we've seen in recent games has, has shown that he's definitely at that level who's, you know, City through and through. So I'm, I've just got an eye on that. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else to discuss with that or shall we move on? I think we can move on. I think that's pretty much covered the the different kind of angles. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more detail and Sam goes into a lot more detail uh, in various positions. And also, yeah, basically, if you're if you're a member of the 9320 player, then you'll, you'll get more detail than you do on the Friday show. But that covers the broad brushstrokes of what okay. we discussed. Yeah, the one thing about all these loan players I saw yesterday, Celtic one want to re-sign Patrick Roberts, or I was like, I forgot he existed. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, I'd forgotten about him. You know, I think we'll be writing most of that. I think he's got a year left on his contract, I don't know. But yeah, there's just so many out there, to be honest. Uh, we're going to have to think about that as well over the summer. Mm, David Silva's um, definitely a 2020 expiration, so he's only got a year left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm okay with Foden if Gundogan goes and Silva we see as a 15 game a season type player in his final year. Mm, I agree. Yeah. I don't think he'd. I don't think he'd be crowded out then. But yeah, someone has to go if yeah he comes if someone comes in in number eight. Definitely. Right. Let's move on. Uh, Champions League. Let's look back before we look forward. Uh, now we're gonna 
we're going to concentrate on Barcelona Liverpool. So a minute <laughs> max. Did you watch Ajax at all, Lloyd or Asa? Uh, yeah, Spurs. I did. I, I watched the um, I watched the Spurs Ajax game as well. I just right. I, I love two minutes on this. So what do you think? Were I do you, were you really impressed with Ajax? I thought there was about fifteen minutes first half where they were phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, I still think the successful. I mean, from, yeah, from where they come from, yeah. Are you as impressed as or as they've been hyped? Or absolutely, I thought. Yeah. I, I thought they were brilliant. Again, I think for me, the thing that I like the most is they play almost identically to the way that City play. Um, the kind of the positioning and the spacing of the players, the way that they press, the the way that the manager demands that they, you know, they defend with a really high line, and they have to. It's just all the all the mad stuff that Pep makes his players do. Ajax do. 90% of that stuff. So they're really a joy to watch. Um, and also, like, I've got to say, two, three months ago, I was like, yeah, I don't know if Frankie de Jong is worth, like, 75 million euros. Feels a bit yeah. overpriced to me. Um, but my goodness, he, yeah, he he is he is the second coming of Johan Cruyff. He's sauce, isn't he? It's, it's, it's kind of scary. Um Barcelona have got a hell of a player. Uh, having said that, I'd happily take Busquets for two years if they want to give him up because they're uh, because they're bringing Frankie in. But no, I, I was really, really, really impressed with with Ajax. I think um, Matthias Delict is the best centre back available this summer. Um, if he goes to Barcelona, I will be pretty gutted. I do think that my my feeling is very much that. If City are trying to save money elsewhere, that means that they're trying to go big somewhere that they didn't expect to go big. Uh, yeah. I don't think Bruno Fernandes is coming in at 100 million euro, no chance. I think with Mino Raiola as as Delict's agent, it's entirely possible that he ends up costing 100 million euros. So I've got both my fingers crossed that we're in for Delict. But yeah, just to go back to that game. I was super impressed with Ajax and I was absolutely devastated that we weren't playing in that game. And I really don't like watching Spurs there. I know that Pochettino gets tons of credit and he's done a great job there, but you know, he, he, he gets credited as being a very progressive and a very attacking manager in some respects. But last 12 months, 18 months, I've watched a lot of Spurs and they remind me of Simeone's Atletico at times. They, you know, they, they seem to know how to be ugly and nasty and, you know, can defend really well. And they've got two or three players who can absolutely kill you because they've got match winners, but they're not fun to watch for me. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Lloyd, your thoughts? I'll never have sympathy for Spurs, really, but for this biggest game, do you feel any sympathy for them that they're missing the two front men, you know, the two star strikers? Uh such a big game or absolutely do you not. think do you think they did but do you do you understand the performance with that in mind or do you still think it wasn't good enough um i feel i feel no sympathy after what happened in our game um i'm still reeling still reeling from that so no i'm uh, glad they got beat um i think to be honest when you actually look at that team um it's a pretty shit team I actually think, you know, Ajax were amazing. I love watching them play. They were great in the first half. Some of their one-touch passing is it's it is Barcelona-esque. Um, I think I think Ajax might have missed a little bit of a trick because if you 
if you bring Son back into that team, I think it massively changes the complexion. Having some chugger Lorente um, playing from the start, I think just completely destroyed how Spurs want to play. If Spurs, you know, Spurs showed against us that when they have Lucas and Son up front, they can be really dangerous because they transition really quickly. Everything just broke down at Lorente uh, in yeah. that game. So if you add Son back into that team, um, what, okay, they've got an away goal, but I think Spurs showed against us that you know if, if things fall correctly, Son can be a clinical finisher. Um, and yeah, when when you looked at that team and you look at Spurs' bench particularly, I mean, there's literally no one on the bench. I think um, Oliver Skip was their furthest forward um, player on the bench, and I think he's played about 10 games a season. He's a centre mid. So yeah, um, I, I think... I think Spurs were pretty rubbish, but I also think it's kind of the sum of their parts. It is, I suppose it is unfortunate for them, but I just didn't feel sorry for them. I just hope that Ajax have enough to get through. But I think 1-0 actually is quite a quite a dangerous scoreline because I think what we've kind of seen in this year's Champions League is that actually having the away game second seems to be a yeah. massive advantage because you do get, if it goes to extra time, you basically get 30 more minutes to score an away goal which I think could be a massive factor. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I hope Ajax get through because I think an Ajax-Barca final would be great. But, um, well, that's, yeah. Yeah, I think Ajax's problem, as you say, the, the big performances came in second legs. Now they've been away first. They might be caught between a rock and a hard place of how to, knowing a draw will take them through, knowing a nil-nil would. don't think it's in there style really to defend no yeah. I think I have to wonder how to play and um, sorry to be boring about away goals but obviously uh, Ajax can't win on away goals now that's a the uh, the nuance of a, a nil one away from home uh, the importance is of course they've got a lead so you know a draw will do them obviously Spurs can go through in the away goals but Ajax can't and uh, so they'll have to decide how to play that second leg Mm, just a small point. I think that um, I've seen a few people say that, oh yeah, you know, Ajax having to go home and how they previously they were all of that. The ties were uh, second leg away from home. They were excellent in the first leg at home in all of those ties. I don't see why they won't be excellent against Spurs at home. I fully expect them to score. Yes, absolutely. Son is dangerous and, and Spurs have got it in them to score goals, multiple Um but, you know, I wouldn't even use the City game as a reference because, I mean, I'm sorry, but the the goals are kind of freakish. Like, uh, almost all their goals are freakish in the, in the City game. I think even the finish, Son's finish after, um, after Laporte's miscontrol, it's just, I don't know if he's doing, I, if, if, if that, if that piece of play unfolds 10 times, I'm not sure he's scoring that goal five times. So I don't know. It just, uh, I, I'm pretty confident that Ajax will go through. All right. Well, we need to move on anyway. Uh, Barcelona at Liverpool. Now a lot has been written and said about this game, obviously. 3-0 to Barcelona. And I commented online, I thought, I mean, there's so many ways to look at this, that Liverpool played well, but then also shot themselves in the foot in a way. Uh, Lloyd, how do you assess that game? Because for a long time in that second half, Barcelona struggled to pass the ball together. They had, I think, about, there's a 50 minute stretch where they only have 35% possession. Uh, but this is a different Barcelona side in a way that aren't 
reliant on possession and are happy to soak it up. And of course, we saw eventually just how dangerous they can be on a counter-attack. Was that what was happening here? Or do you think Liverpool just, you know, if they'd had better finishing, could have actually won this game? Seems ridiculous to say in a 3-0. How do you assess what was a, a crazy game in a way? Yeah, a couple, a couple of things. I thought I thought generally Liverpool were really good. Obviously, their finishing was was tosh, but um, I thought the way that they took it to Barca generally... <clears throat> And um, the way that they, I think, disrupted Barca was the big thing for me. I haven't seen Barca kind of struggle in possession like that since, I honestly can't remember, maybe the last time we played them and beat them um, in terms of kind of just cutting through them and managing to nip the ball off them. Um, I think Klopp got it wrong, personally. Um, I think that massively inhibited Liverpool. Going for Wijnaldum as a false nine um, was just a weird decision. I think, above anything, it shows... It shows how frail Liverpool are without that front three. I mean, they've literally not got another. They they don't trust their two other number nines in the squad to play um, in that kind of a game, which is a, which which is a massive frailty in their team. And it kind of, it, I think it shows as well um, for me anyway how ridiculous this effort from Liverpool has been, and how in a way lucky it's been that they've managed to keep all three of them free. Because you know, if you take even five, I would say, games where you take either one of those front three out of the team, I think they wouldn't be on the points total they're on. Um, but yeah, I think I think Klopp probably got it wrong, personally. Um, and then bringing Henderson on, shifting Milner, just seemed a bit weird as well. But um, I think more than anything, it showed what we've kind of fallen victim to against Barca a few times now, which yeah. is you can dominate them. You can actually be the better team. You can rile Messi. You know, I mean, I, I think Messi was kind of losing his nut at points. Um, you, and you can get around them. You can create good chances. But if you don't take them, which they didn't, and they had three big ones, Mane first half, that Milner chance was, I mean, he's got to be burying that. That's 12 yards out. Uh, literally anywhere yeah. than anywhere other than down the middle, that's in. And then, you know, Big Mo six yards out fluffs his lines I mean that's an absolute I know it's on his right foot but that's an absolute sitter um, so yeah I think it did show that against Barca the the, the margins are tight and when Leo's on the other team and you've got someone like Suarez and Alba it can literally be moments and you feel like it should be a 1-1 maybe a 2-1 to Barca and they, they get spanked 3-0 yeah hey uh, Sam I'll just ask you the same question your views on that match slightly different to Lloyd in that I think that Barcelona, uh, this Barcelona, this Valverde Barcelona team, they team, tend, to, tend to play a lot on the edge defensively. So I've seen a lot of games like that where you feel like the opposition seem to have a lot of chances. Um, yeah. And yet Barcelona end up winning by clear goals, multiple. Um, so I'm not sure that Liverpool were as on. Un- I mean, look, Salah's got to take that chance at the very end. Uh, but other than that, like the Milner, the Milner chance, for example, I mean, that feeds into the quality of players that you have. And if your, if your mid, if your go-to midfield is as functional as Kloppo's has been this season, then you accept that you're going to get absolutely no goals from them. So it kind of is what it is. Um, so I didn't really, for me, it felt like from very early on, Barcelona were going to beat them by more than one goal. There was a period in the second half 
where Liverpool dominated the football and looked mm. like they were going to get on top. But I almost tweeted, and I wish I had done, this feels like Barcelona taking a 15-minute break before they go, right, let's finish this game now. And to my mind and to my eyes, that's more or less what happened, that they let Liverpool have some of the football. Liverpool created some chances. And then collectively, Barcelona went, right, final push. And in that final push, I've no idea how the game doesn't finish 5 6 nil. Never mind, 3-0. Yeah, the naivety to try and get that fabled away goal just, I mean, literally left you know, half the pitch there for the counter-attack, didn't they? So, very lucky. It's only three. Uh, yeah, you know, some will say that they were unlucky, but there was no bad luck in this game. No. If you don't take chances, that's not bad luck. That's just bad football. Uh, the crossing was not good enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's normally superb, especially from Robertson. And I did feel they were very... Barcelona could have exposed them a lot more down Liverpool's right-hand side. Mm. There were some counter-attacks they really messed up in both halves. Definitely. But there was tons of space down there. So both sides, I think, were playing on the edge a bit. Definitely. Uh, but, but there's no bad luck in them missing chances. You, you know, if you don't take them, that's, uh, you get what you deserve. I think it sums up this this stage of the competition, not just the fine lines, but you just get punished if you don't. If you're not in your game at all, you get punished. Mm. And I, uh, I'm going to say something that I I will criticise Klopp in the same way that I criticise Guardiola in terms of the approach. I think that if you get to that stage of the Champions League and you go away from home in the quarterfinal or the semi-final and you start messing around and putting really pragmatic teams out, trying to do something that you wouldn't normally do, and you get slapped around, that's what you deserve. He, and that's what Klopp did. He ble- he, but do he ble- you, he ble- sorry, Lloyd, do you think his approach was wrong from the start or do you think his in-game management... I think his in-game management was totally I wrong. I think both. But the approach was quite successful I, for a while, anyway. I, I, I think a little bit like our... I think it's similar criticisms to what we had or what, what I had um, with Pep in the first Spurs games. I think the personnel was wrong. Yeah. I think um, he choked not playing Trent. Uh, and playing Gomez. Gomez hasn't. Gomez is a much better defender, but he hasn't started a game in t- um, 2019. And you know, we we talk a lot about away goals. Fundamentally, they probably needed one in that game. Not playing Trent. To me, it made it, made, it makes way more sense to play Gomez at home when when you need to defend and play. You know, especially when you got the second leg at yours and play Trent away. away. So that, that was a that was a bizarre decision. I think the Wijnaldum yeah. thing was a bizarre choice of personnel. Um, yeah. not, I, I, I don't know why he's played Milner I would have played Henderson and then yeah I think a bit like with again like with the Spurs game I think the approach was a bit weird they sat off more than I know it's Barcelona but they sat off a bit more more than they have in any other game this season They, I think one of the the big things about Klopp and one of the big successes often in these kind of games is that he doesn't he hasn't blinked and he will always play his best 11 um, maybe you know I think he has been exposed by the fact that Firmino clearly wasn't fit enough to start, and that that actually exposes the the lack of depth in that squad. But I think his yeah his decision to to switch it up and be more pragmatic ultimately ended up um, backfiring. Mm, I just don't think that you can. I mean, I don't know how to say this. I, I watched that game and it kind of felt a little bit like Ferguson's United against Barcelona in the sense that. I don't know how you can expect to beat Barcelona 
by playing a really functional midfield. I mean, if if that 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 midfield that Klopp played, Kite of Fabinho and uh who was the third one who started? Remind me. Milner. Who am I missing? Yeah, Milner. I mean, there you go. That that midfield was there to disrupt Barcelona and not play football itself. And I don't think you can beat a side like Barcelona by trying to just disrupt their midfield um, and not really having the intention to control the football and control the game yourself and to literally just be looking for transitions within which to play. I think in the end you'll you'll come unstuck if you do if you try that. Um, it's kind of I'm disappointed that City don't get to play Barcelona in the knockouts of this same massively. It would have been interesting to see how Guardiola would have approached that game. Just from 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 the Liverpool point of view, gotta say, um, for me, it was the perfect way for that game to unfold. They expended loads of en- energy. They lost Kaita to an injury. They looked broken and devoured at the final whistle. I mean, it's perfect preparation for Newcastle this weekend. I'd have liked nice. an away goal. I think. Nice segue. Yeah, if they, if they had an away goal, just to give them a bit more hope, even though they wouldn't have any, I think that would have just been perfect. But. Yeah, that, really that Messi's overrated, mate. Do you know what I mean? Don't worry about it. The oh Messi yeah, that, that free kick came off Gomez's shoulder, apparently. So uh... <laughs> almost up there with Alano's, but almost. almost. That's how good it was. But do do you think this tie's dead then, Lloyd? Because I don't think they'll go to the second leg thinking it's dead. It's of course it's dead. There's no honestly. I'll, I'll put my nuts on the line. There's <laughs> no way. Barca uh, losing a 3-0 lead absolutely no chance They'll, if they score if they score Liverpool have to score 5 I mean okay maybe there's like a 2% chance it'll happen but I just cannot see it remind me how they went out last season Lloyd they went out yeah but Roma had an away goal it was 4-1 and then they won 3-0 yeah. at home so if if Barca literally score one goal it's 5 and do you think I mean do we honestly think Barca won't score one goal at Anfield I think, they really, I, really should, but you know. I think they will. I also think that they're a much better side than they were twelve months ago. Barcelona are. I think. That, are they? Yeah, I think so. I think that their long layers improve, improve them. I think. Yeah, I just feel that they've come to terms with what Valverde is a, as a coach. I, I don't think there's as much resistance to what he wants them to do as there was a year ago. I think there was still a year ago a sense of, is this really how Barcelona are meant to play? Um, whereas yeah. I think now that they're they're comfortable with it, and also they've you know they've they've walked La Liga, which is a big thing. So you know that that also fosters belief. And like Lloyd says, you're really telling me that Messi ain't going to score at Anfield. I mean, regardless of what 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 Liverpool supporters may think, Lionel Messi is going to score at Anfield, and the tie is dead already. Ooh, so not convinced. I'm not sure he is away. I ain't got the stats to hand, but. Mate, you've been predicting. I'm not sure he always scores away from home. You know, I'm not saying he's a homer. The greatest player of all time is not a homer, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I'm convinced he's going to score at Anfield. I mean, someone else might, but well, I mean, the, hopefully the, Suarez, the scores Suarez, which will just fire him on further. Yeah, but that was Suarez's first goal in the Champions League for over a year, I think. But booing him, he's only going to fire him up further. Now he's persona non grata with <laughs> Liverpool fans. Uh, yeah, how dare he celebrate a goal? How dare he act like he always has how, how, for every game in his how, career? How dare Gary Neville celebrate? That's ridiculous. It's not as if uh, 
Jamie Carragher and oh wait he did that in commentary and most other little dancers yeah. so. well Gary Lineker yeah who used, to play, who just used to play for them which probably half the fans complaining probably didn't even realise to be honest but to be honest I think they're celebrating a moment of a astonishing skill above anything rather than saying you're a supporter of a certain team you're commentating you see something like that you know it's a reaction to it is it not so I don't know so, begs the question because everyone's asking it. Asan, how does this affect Newcastle? Hugely so. I don't think that. Um, I don't think that a defeat like that uh, doesn't scar you somehow after the season that Liverpool have had. I don't think that they can ignore the fact that. They went into the Barcelona tie seeing themselves as favourites to go through over the two legs. They clearly don't feel like that now. I think that the creeping realisation that they could end the season with no trophies, I think all of that stuff will feed into a mindset that it's almost impossible for it to not affect them. The only question is, does it affect them negatively or positively? So do they turn up at Newcastle with the attitude of, right, we're going to absolutely do these? Or do they turn up at Newcastle already deflated that they're potentially going to end a historic point-wise season empty-handed? So, yeah, I mean, and I think the Kaita injury is definitely a blow for them because he has um, quietly improved dramatically in the last eight weeks and, and become quite important to the to the dynamism of what they do in attack. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Newcastle get something out of that game. And to give you an example, I've not really watched much of Liverpool last couple of months because I just feel like they're going to win yeah. most every game they're going to play. I'll be watching tomorrow. Ooh, I'll be up a mountain, which is the best place to be. So. <laughs> I don't want to know. The standard 2-0 win. Liverpool. Uh, what, Lloyd, what do you think? What what would be have the bigger effects drain on them? The physical effect of literally pushing, putting everything into that Barcelona game, or the mental effect of losing 3-0? And also, additional question, is the fact Rafa Benitez is manager of Newcastle of any relevance to this match, match's outcome? So, in response to the first question, I think mental because Liverpool haven't played nearly as many games, per se, as us. I think, obviously, physically, they're going to be shot after that. But I think, mentally, I think for them, they would have been sat in that dressing room five minutes after the final whistle, and I think it would have been a very low, dour mood in there. You know, I think you saw... I think it was interesting to see Salah literally trudge straight off the pitch in a, in a strop, which, you know, is understandable, yeah. but I thought, I, I kind of, I did notice that. Um, he strops more than anyone in. He does. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think, awesome. I, I think, look, I think if they win against Newcastle, then fair play, you know, because I think that that's a huge, yeah. that's a huge blow mentally, physically. It's, a, it's just, a, it's just a, it's a massive blow because they've not really, they've not really lost many games this season. I mean, yeah, okay, they've lost a few in the domestic cups, but the only time they've lost in the league is, is against us. Um, and they did stutter a bit, you know, after that period. It did kind of put the doubts in them. And I think we spoke before the um, 
before the Liverpool game saying we need to be the one that puts the doubt in their heads. We need to, you know, land a punch. And, you know, Barca landed a massive punch against them. Um, and yeah, the the creeping doubt of is this season going to end with with no trophies after what could be. I think if they get 97 points, it'll be the third highest points total ever um, if we get 98. So yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. In terms of Benitez, um, I think I think it's a perfect game for us. I think the fact that it's it's Saturday night away. I think a night game always has a bit more. Even though I don't know, I don't think I've ever been to a Saturday night game, but I think a night game generally always has a bit more about it. Um, I think Benitez will probably be um, you know wanting to preserve his legacy. Um, I think he probably thinks the Champions League isn't on now and doesn't want them to win the league potentially. So even Definitely. though even though he you know probably has an affiliation with Liverpool, I think he'd probably rather preserve his legacy and Newcastle have been in really good form Jose Perez has been past fit he's been playing really well in recent games I think it's um, Almiron's out though that's a big blow that is a big blow because he's actually contributed a lot to I think Perez has played well since Almiron's been in the team so totally yeah I I think you know a bit like Asan. I think I think I'm going to break break rank and watch it. So uh, cool, lad. Watch it, you know. Watch it be a comfortable two 0 or something. But yeah, <laughs> it, I, I, I am I am definitely going to have an eye on it. So do you think there's no Benitez effect then, Asa? Definitely not. Not in the way that the Scousers think, man. They're mental. You think that you think that Rafa Benitez or or Brendan Rodgers wants Kloppo to achieve something that that they didn't achieve at Liverpool when they both came close? No chance. I, I, They've got still lives in it. Still has a house in the area. Blah, yeah, but blah, blah, blah. All, all of that stuff actually feeds into why he absolutely doesn't want them winning the Premier League this season. Because look, if Klopp wins the Premier League, the cult of Benitez at Liverpool is over, and it's replaced by the cult of Kloppo. That achievement yeah. will be bigger than the 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 Champions League win that that Benitez had. I just. I can't see anything other than Rafa Benitez having a team absolutely bang up for for the game tomorrow night. And I just, in general, and, and I think the same will apply to Rodgers and, and um, Leicester, that the greater motivation is to disrupt the title race. The greater motivation for both of those managers will be, look, these teams are coming here or we're going to this place where they expect to roll us over. We have to make sure that we absolutely don't do that. Let's throw a spanner in their works. I expect Benitez to do that, and I expect Rogers to do it on Monday night. Okay. Uh, and obviously, whatever Benitez thinks, I've little doubt the players and the fans will be up for this one on a Saturday night as well. Just disrupt, yeah, having a say in the title race. I think the players will certainly get something out of that. Totally. The Geordie boys will have had a few Nuki Browns. Surely they'll be well up for it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shirts off. Shirts off, of course. It's above freezing, so... Uh, Well, shirts off if it wasn't above freezing, but... uh, Yeah, right. Shall we move on, then, to the big one? The big one. We've had had a break, but it's getting closer now. Uh, Lloyd, it's, it's a very open question. Really, what's your thoughts on Monday night? How confident are you? How big a threat are Leicester? Just what are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm, I, I am nervous. I think Leicester, Leicester are a massive threat. I mean, 
I found it ridiculous when people were saying they couldn't understand why Rodgers has taken that job. I mean, if you look at that squad, they have got potentially... I think so. I can't remember who said this on Twitter, but I think if you look at their squad, it's, it's definitely better balanced than United's. And I think you, you could probably argue they've got more quality, in, definitely in some positions. I mean, some of their some of the young players, I mean, they've got Chilwell. They've obviously got experience in Vardy, but they've got Maguire, who I think isn't a top six defender, but he's a very good Premier League defender. They've got Gray, Madison. Um, they've got um, Harvey Barnes has just come in, Tielemans. Um, indeed, he's a great player. You know, they've got a really, really good team there. And Leicester have had really good success against City in recent years. I think, again, I can't remember who said it, but I think they've got, over the last three seasons, they've got the highest um, goals per game ratio at City of any team that's visited. Um, yeah. And Vardy, for me, is just the absolute striker that you just don't want this City defence to play against because he just plays so on the edge. And any any little... Laporte moment like against Spurs or anything like that you know he just gobbles it up and his record against the top six is is very good so it's it's going to be a really tough game um, the fact that it's a night game makes me more nervous if it was a Saturday 3pm I'd be a lot, I'd be a lot calmer um, but yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to it I'm, I'm, I'm going actually which will be which will be buzzing because that's going to be the, I'll be our last home game but yeah I think it has it has got banana skin written on it but you know we've got unbelievable players we've got Pep who is going to be right into them and will have done all the analysis so I am confident but it's definitely it's by no means I don't think going to be um, a 3-0 or anything like that I think it's going to be tight Hey Sans same question for you um, I mean a little bit nervous I kind of feel like Leicester I think it's better for us to play a better team than to play Burnley or Brighton or a side like that where they're just, you know what you're going to get. They're going to come and they're going to sit really deep and they're going to be gnarly because I actually think that that frustration bothers our players more than playing a proper game of football against a side who will go, well, fine, we'll let you attack because we're going to attack and we're going to be dangerous as well. I think our lot like that. So I'm... I'm okay with the fact that it's Leicester. I totally agree with Lloyd. They've got tons of quality. Um, we've just got better quality. So it becomes a conversation about, like, it's funny because the Lloyd says, I can't see it being like a 3-0 or anything like that. I kind of agree, but I can see it being 5-4 to City. I can definitely oh, yeah. see it going the way of uh, of the uh, second leg of the Spurs Champions League tie where it just becomes, yeah, a basketball game. Because, I mean, the, uh, it... The, the unknown with City is how defensively solid we'll be. Um, if, you know, it, it's weird. And I, I think part of the problem with, I think we've had this throughout this season, which is that a weird result throws itself up. And because of that weird result, suddenly everything that you thought you knew, you feel you don't know anymore. I think the Palace and Newcastle results did that. And I feel the Spurs... Um, Champions League second leg tie really did that because I think that the defensive frailty we showed somehow has made people a bit more wary about how we're going to finish this season. For me personally, I look at the performances against United, against Spurs in the league and against Burnley and I feel really confident that the mentality on Monday night will be right. 
And if the mentality's right, well, you know, would you bet against Howard? Would you bet against this city side with Guardiola as manager against even a talented Leicester side if the mentality is right at City? No, I don't <laughs> bet on City though. <laughs> I don't want to curse them. Uh, Lloyd, then, how does Pep? I mean, the counter attacking threat with Vardy is obvious and there's pace and vitality in that side. How does he approach this game then? Just don't let them have the ball, suffocate them like many other teams. Or I, I think because of how Leicester play, what we, what we can't do is take an early lead and try and manage the game like yeah. like we have in other games. Because I think if we do that, what can happen is you just you can just give a goal up, and then it's very hard to shift the momentum back. If you've been managing the game for say say if we score early and we kind of manage it to about seventy minutes and. You know, it all looks all right, but literally they get one chance, one-one, and then you've got to completely flip it on its head again. I think City just need to go for it, and like Asan says, I think we just need to accept that you know they might score a couple of goals, but we're going to score more. So you know, I'm hoping for hoping for the best team, hoping for a, a gunko approach. I expect that's what it will be. Um, I don't think this is a game for me. I can't see Pep doing a blink in this game, if if that makes sense. Um, no chance. I think the only the only thing for me, just looking at it, is I I think I don't know what you two think about this, but I think company for me, I wouldn't be playing him in this game personally. Nah, definitely I think, not. Good I think shout. against against Vardy, I, I think it was it was it last season when in the first minute he could have yeah. got sent off. I, that rashness, two nil win last season. Yeah, that rashness that company just sometimes does have in in these kind of games. Um, this is not one for Vinny for me, particularly with Vardy's pace. Um, that would if I if I saw Vinny, that would make me nervous personally. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I expect Stones to start so many times, and it's yeah. I, I'd rather. A player came in, as you said, that made a mistake, than plays on the edge like Vinny does, because that's it's one thing that could undo us. Yeah, at the end of the day, I want to end the match with eleven players. It's little things like that can change seasons. Uh, so yeah, I do agree with you. Uh, hey, son, I know I said a team prediction on this. Have you considered a team before doing this pod? I have. Um, Would you like to Walker? Stones, Laporte, Zinchenko, Gundogan, David Silva, Bernardo, Raz, Leroy, Aguero. I think the only, that's what I would like to see. I think that, you know, throwing Sane in at home, away against Burnley, in a, in a game that I felt really wasn't made for him and then yeah. hooking him because he wasn't that effective. It was what it was, but I think he deserves a chance at home against a side like Leicester where he might actually get a bit of space and a bit of joy. Um, yeah, that that's the team. That's the team that I would go with. I must pick Otamendi just to say, if he really is leaving, he probably deserves a farewell because he has been a... Um, Quietly, very big, very important player in many, many, many moments for City. So, mm. uh, and it will be interesting actually. As a as a bit of a side note, 
will be very interesting to see how the players, what these players with question marks over their futures, like Otamendi, like Danilo, what they do at the final whistle, whether there is a sense that they're saying their goodbyes. Yeah, it will indeed, but you won't pick the team according to, you know. No, of course Such not. logic, really, no. No, 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 no. absolutely not. Uh, Lloyd, does your team differ from that in any shape or form? I think that's probably bang on. The only, I think the only thing for me is whether having what happened at Burnley and given Bernardo's form, whether he thinks actually we need Bernardo on the wing, hook Sane, um, and put someone else in the number eight. But that, I mean, given the fact that KDB, I think, is definitely out, Fernandinho's wearing a knee brace, the, the only other option really there would be would be Foden. So, Foden, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've. I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't be against that, obviously, but I, I, I don't know, I just can't see it. I, I think it'll be it'll be Leroy and he'll play Bernardo centrally. And if he has to switch it up with Raz and Leroy like he did in the second half against Burnley, then, you know, he'll have that option. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'd expect. And the approach, I mean, we must mention it, the, the result on Saturday night, you know, can play a part in the approach because, well... It's possible City could win the league on Monday night. Uh, I'll be astonished if we go into that game <laughs> have a chance to win the league. Uh, but even if Liverpool drew, we could lose and still be top as long as we're not thrashed. Uh, so again, if, you know the difference. If Liverpool have drawn and we're drawing near the end, it's all very different to if Liverpool have won and we're drawing near the end of this match. Uh, the both games feeding to each other. It's obviously two games, and we have to get as many points as them uh, at this point. Uh, right. Can I ask you, Aysan, then, for a score prediction? Um, yeah. 3-2 to City. Okay. Lloyd? I, th- I think, yeah, I think 3-2 as well. Okay. I might be optimistic for one to say 3-1, but 3-2 sounds good. Uh, anything else you want to discuss about the... The Leicester game, Asan or Lloyd? Can I just ask you both, actually? Um, if if Liverpool drop points against Newcastle, one, do you think do you think that would do you think that completely changes the mentality for the players? And two, does it change? Would it change the mentality for you in terms of the nerves and the stress? Oh yeah. <laughs> if, if Newcastle. My nerves will plummet if they drop points on Saturday night. The reason, because the, re- the reason I because the leeway's think, there. I mean, it's like the, two thousand. If you think back to that, sorry, it's like two thousand fourteen again, isn't it? When everyone says the Crystal Palace lost them the league, uh, Liverpool, it didn't. If they'd beaten Crystal Palace, as long as it wasn't nine goals or more, we'd still have won the league. But it gave us leeway to. We only need four points off the last two games, and I think that really freed the team up. I mean, they might have won those games anyway. They were very winnable. But I think it helped a bit. You know, knowing you've got that leeway that you don't have to win both games uh, makes a big difference. Hey, son. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that... uh, I I imagine that... I think the players can't help but be affected by the result, whether whether they win or they drop points. But... The flip side of that is I expect that Guardiola will have them laser-focused on this idea that, look, just win those last two games, forget about Liverpool. 
Yeah, I, I agree in a way. But still, be looking to win the game. But I think mentally, it must have an effect knowing that you know one goal here or there does not destroy your season. But yeah, uh, kind of just one final question. Obviously, we'll we'll know more after Monday. But Asan, do you feel whoever goes into that final day wins the title? Ahead, sorry, whoever goes in ahead will win their game. Yeah, because even me as a pessimist feels that. Uh, that if we if we end Monday night ahead, even me as a pessimist thinks it, it's not a done deal. But I think, you know, we're very, 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 very close. Mm. <laughs> I do think so, but I also think that um, I will be ridiculously nervous if it goes to the last day. I won't be yeah. able to help it. I think it'll yeah. just be, you know, I'm normally I'm pretty positive, pretty placid, um, but going into the last day of the season, knowing you've got to win to win the league, but also knowing that if you don't win and Liverpool win, they win the league. It's just going to bring, uh, I think I'll probably need to be sedated in the morning and then woken up <laughs> at, at kickoff to be perfectly frank. Cause I don't know how I'll, how, how else I'll be able to cope with that. That'll be really stressful. Yeah. And for, with that in mind, uh, I think everyone needs to support Crystal Palace away at Cardiff this weekend. <laughs> Because Brighton being safe on the last day would help calm the nerves further, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, because if they're safe, obviously they're not going to push themselves too much, are they? Mm. You would hope. Uh, yeah. Oh, I've just made myself even more nervous now looking forward to Brighton. <laughs> you know what, Howard? I actually, I actually think if, if Liverpool go into the final day ahead, I don't think it's definitely done. You know, I think their game at home... They they could they could do a, a city QPR could definitely unfold for them if they, if they go in ahead the amount of stress and pressure and like how many twenty nine years or whatever they could definitely bottle it. And Nuno yeah. and Wolves are uh, uh, they're not. It's interesting because you know part of that whole I, I I flagged this this week that I found it quite interesting the way that the entire narrative for the last six weeks has been when and where will City drop points and. I kind of, even looking at these last two games, the conversation still seems to be around that. I don't think that it's a given that Liverpool win either of those games. I've already made the case for why I think that Newcastle will be bang up for it and I can see something weird happening. And equally, on the last day of the season, Wolves are a really good side with really good players who will be playing with total freedom at Anfield. Nuno will go there. He's a manager who I think has got a trajectory that will land him at a bigger club eventually. I mean, again, it's just not a given. I completely agree with Lloyd. Yeah. All I will say about that QPR match, I did watch 20-minute package of it again the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we should have scored 17 goals in that second half. It was so mental. I think you could replay that and we'd, you know, we'd come through it really, really easily. It was absolutely... <laughs> I mean, there's so many chances that you just forget about. I mean, just... Uh, Paddy Kenny, I think, was it in there who saved them? And there was a handball from Anua, I think, and lots of other little things going on. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, so you can say, you know, in a way, City all very nearly bottled that day, but in another way, the ball just wouldn't go in the net. It was as though there was a force field around it at some point. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, it de- again, it depends on, we'll get too far ahead on, on what Wolves how much they care about playing that day mm. or if they're thinking of their summer holidays already. So anyway, that's for another time. 
Right, I think we've covered everything. All right to wrap up, eh, Sam? Absolutely. You're the boss. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on, eh, Sam, for, on the Friday show. Thanks for having me, Howard. And I'm not the boss. We're all bosses. Yeah, well, big cheese. The grand fromage from Paris. Uh, Lloyd, thank you very much for coming on as well today. Cheers, mate. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. There will, of course, be a review. Uh, almost certainly on Tuesday of the Leicester match plus loads more shows until next time goodbye up the blues